Hello, and welcome to On the Road to Discovery. If you care about education, this podcast is for you. I'm Heidi Goger, and with me is my colleague, Sarah Elwell. We are passionate advocates for the equitable education of all students. Today, we'll be talking about teacher retention with our special guest, Kashia Thorpe. Recently, Edutopia released an article entitled Four Ways to Increase Teacher Retention. The authors write that signing bonuses and reducing instructional days to four days a week, for example, are not the answers to teacher retention. Rather, they discuss four possible ways for school administrators to retain and attract teachers. Those suggestions include learning to appreciate the efforts of others, eliminating toxic cultures, giving uh, teachers a voice or amplifying the voice of teachers, and also having a relationship between school administrators and staff. So to speak with us today about this pressing issue of teacher retention is Kashia Thorpe, uh, educator who has experience in both DC public schools and Prince George's County schools. And so when you heard Heidi mention these suggestions for educator retention, um, did they resonate with your experiences? Uh, definitely. I mean, I, and I've, I've been in both, both situations. I actually taught in Atlanta as well. So I'm more, I, I guess I have experienced multiple different, uh, school platforms. So how much time do you have? <laughs> <laughs> I would say give us, give us the real deal. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, so when we, when you talk about all of those things that impact, or can help teach improve teacher retention. You know, it's not ever a one size fits all approach because the remedies are quite different. And it's really based on where you are teaching and also where you are in your experience as a teacher. For example, like teachers in urban areas or rural schools kind of really struggle a lot more with different issues than teachers in like suburban school neighborhoods, because schools in rural and um, urban areas, they really struggle mostly with like poor infrastructure, overcrowded classroom, you know, and the list goes on under um, their schools tend to be underfunded. And like schools in, say, urban neighborhoods, right, they tend to have a lot more students of color. And so we see a lot of those schools have more poor um, facilities and less amenities than schools in say suburban neighborhoods. So when we look at, you know, both teachers, how both teachers and students feel um, undervalued because sometimes the reality is that, you know, they see, for example, the city next door, totally different, you know, and um, students receive things that are totally different from them. And so when students and teachers see that, they really feel undervalued. A good example is DCP, um, DCPS, you know, where most of those schools um, on one side of the Anacostia are totally different from schools on the other side of the Anacostia River. And students notice the difference, which is why, you know, when I was teaching in DC as a, as a American um, Federation teacher leader, I did my action research project on you know, location matters because I know that a lot of teachers and students uh, did not want to have, did not experience, have great educational experience in the South. And so a lot of them wanted to move over to the North. Um, and the fact is that 
you know, they experienced teaching in very poor conditions. And so that's also attached to their teacher evaluation and when teach and, and student achievements. And so when we find that poor conditions are attached to teacher evaluation, you know, and they don't have the resources, they kind of really feel undervalued and they feel like they're being judged um, unfairly. So school districts have to kind of really demonstrate more value for teachers by giving them better working conditions and acknowledging and recognizing the effort, the extra effort that they have to put in to really help, especially vulnerable population of students. So when you talk about how they can actually improve teacher retention, you know, the list is vast. Like I said before, you know, it depends on where you are on, and in your teaching career and also where you are in terms of demographic where you're teaching. You know, they also have to really elevate the teaching profession in the public's eye because most of the time you see teachers on the news is like, because there it's something negative. You know, a fight may happen at school, an incident may happen to a, between a teacher and a student, et cetera. So, you know, but they don't look at these as isolated cases. You know, what about the millions of teachers who are changing students' lives every day? Those are not usually highlighted and we need to see more of that. You know, they have to also create more opportunities for teacher leadership oh, and absolutely. professional development for teachers, especially, the teachers that are new and do so. And a lot of times they do professional development, but teachers have to pay for it. So they're constantly incurring debt on the education debt that they already have. And so this increase in debt really uh, demotivates teachers, you know, um, because while these debt is they're incurring is increasing, their teacher salary is not increasing to pay it off. You know, so, and another thing is they have to give teachers more autonomy. You know, especially when it comes to curriculum and in the classrooms, they got to hire teachers of color. How many times have we said that, you know, hire teachers of color? It is it is an, it's not enough of us out there. And, you know, if we have more of us out there, probably more, will, more of us will want to stay. You know, we need to make sure that we feel we want to feel like we belong and we want to feel like the system also values teacher minority teachers. And we also want to feel like the system also caters to us. You know, after all, we know that representation matters um, and students of color have a better chance if they see more of us in the classroom. Um, I feel like you probably summed up a really tightly woven list of ways in which we as a whole system and society can make educators feel more valued. I feel like we hear a lot, oh, you know, teachers are not paid enough, they're not valued enough, but what are the ways in which that really um, can be demonstrated for our right. educators to keep them in there? And I think that you you hit on quite a few um, yeah. Notable, yeah. notable policy decisions that could be made. So I want to rewind a little bit though, Kashia. What was your motivation to become a teacher? I think I read in an article somewhere that you were considering becoming a lawyer. So what made you become a, become a teacher? Yeah, I, you know, um, I come from a poor background and I really had an opportunity to go to college, which I thought was never in the cards for me. Um, you know, I was raised by my grandmother and of course I have a sister. And when you think, when you're, when you're in poverty, you think about having to raise two kids and then send them off to college um, and you're not thinking 
about where the finances will come from. It's really daunting. And for us, because my grandmother has worked so hard, we didn't really see college in the picture because we also did not want to put that kind of financial strain on her either. Um, so, but I was able to get a scholarship to college that really changed my life. And, you know, it really transformed my life in a way where I saw the power of education really played out at higher level. Um, so when I went to college, I was on a pre-law track, yes, um, but I kind of pivoted because I had the chance to tutor at a school in DC. So I went to Howard University. And so I had a chance to tutor at a local um, public school. And while I was there, I really saw the conditions that made me had so much empathy for the students that are there because while I was tutoring them, I was talking to them and, um, you know, and my stories connected with some of their stories. And, you know, they also, a lot of them come from low-income families and they did not want to go home. <laughs> you know, some of them are asked, even asked me if they could come home with me, you know, and they were, these were young kids, you know, and so it really resonated with me. And, you know, I felt like I was there to do something about, about it. I wanted to, and I kind of really thought about at that point, I knew then that I was supposed to do something about it to help them at least get a better chance at life. So I always say that I didn't choose teaching. Teaching kind of really chose me. <laughs> and, it, you know, and over time, it became my life's purpose. You know, I stayed in the profession um, and now for about 18 years, because I think that, you know, as um as I say, you know, every child deserves a champion, you know, an adult who understands the power of connection and insists that they become the very best they can be. And I really wanted to be that champion. And I think to some degree I have, and I am that champion for them. I would definitely concur with that assertion right there. Um, you have impacted so many lives and helped so many students um, have college as a possibility due to your work with them on getting scholarships. So this, this may be a, a bit more of a personal question, um, and you can draw on some personal experiences, but as we see a lot of educators leaving, many of them cite work-life balance and wellness as reasons that they are leaving the classroom. How, how have you been able to achieve that? Like, are there any um, techniques or strategies that you have used? You know, Teaching is a hard profession, <laughs> and I'm sure everyone can agree. But one of the things that I, my mantra, my, my, my professional mantra for teaching is that, you know, teaching is heart work, heart work. It is not hard work. And so for me, I don't think that I have the best um, advice when it comes to kind of work-life balance because I've struggled with it um, because I'm so passionate about the work that I do. And I'm just really passionate about service in general. Um, you know, I have a knack for giving back. And I just always think that I'm not the nine to five educator, you know, but um, I find myself working extreme um, you know, extremes outside of the classroom from, you know, bringing food to my students to working on education policies to be signed, you know, so I'm that kind of person. So I'm just like always going. Um, but, you know, I understand that my reality is not the reality of every teacher. Um, you know, the pandemic really show us that and teachers are, you know, they were already dealing with 
a lot of um, challenges in schools during the pandemic, but everything kind of really magnified. And they have, a lot of them had to really put their personal lives aside to cater to students, you know, put their kids aside to cater to other students and students, you know, because so many students were in crises. Um, and they had to be on the front line to kind of remediate and helping to recover learning loss and dealing with students' emo social, emotional well-being. You know, they put aside uh, their own mental health to really make sure that stu students are well. And, um, and I mean, if we could talk about the massive teacher shortage, right, that really exacerbated when we returned to the, the classroom, classrooms were more overcrowded, teachers were having to fill in for other teachers and sub you know, I had to sub a few times for teachers who were out or, you know, people were just subbing because there were no teachers to even cover those classes on their personal time. And so when they go home, they have to use home for planning time. And so there's no time, you know, to plan for the next day for school. So there's no time to be with their family. And a lot of that kind of led to a lot of burnout, you know, and people wonder, were wondering why so many people are leaving the profession, you know, but, you know, I say that, you know, one thing you was you're asking, you know, how can I encourage um yes. you know teachers is that you know before you know you decide to kind of like when you when you think about those dark days, you know, those dark days when you say you want to walk away and walk out of the classroom or even walk away from the profession, you know, just remember your why, just remember your purpose. Mm -hmm. That's what I always go back to. What is my why? Why am I here? What is my purpose? You know, um, just remember who is counting on you and the lives that you are leaving behind, whose future actually depend on you being in that classroom. And sometimes you're the only caring adult. Most of those students even have in their lives, especially if you teach vulnerable population of students. Um, so you cannot just walk away. So um, one of the things I learned when I was doing my principal license was um, we focused a lot on COVID's seven habits of highly successful people. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so I kind of use that to check in on myself. So, you know, I would advise use something like that. Use some self-help book, use some self-help strategies and tips to check in on yourself. And if you're like me, you know, I always ask God to kind of order my steps Absolutely. because, um, I'm one of those people who, you know, I've had my fair share of challenges as well, but when those days come and I feel like I can't go anymore, I just kind of like look for footprints in the sand and then I know he's carrying me. So I'm that spiritual person. So I would say, you know, tap into something on, on the inside of you that kind of give you that strength to move on. Wow. Thank you for such a brave response. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was so inspiring, especially the poem that you referenced, the footprints mm -hmm. in the sand. Um, and if you could help me with this part, Kashia, it's like I was walking with you. And then at one point I just saw one set of footprints. Yes, yes, yes. And that's when you, I, I know you are carrying me because when there are two sets of footprints, there's you're walking beside me. And when I can't go anymore, I only see one set of footprints and I know I, I'm moving, still moving forward because that's when you're carrying me. <laughs> yes, amen. I remember that. That was so beautiful. Yes. I, I remember earlier you mentioned how important location is. Location matters, you said. And then we know that you did some research about disparities between well-resourced and under-resourced or Title I schools. How do you think funding impacts teacher retention in schools? Oh my goodness, great question. You know, um, I've always worked in either Title I or Title III schools. So, you know, I've, uh, you know, I, I guess I'm the, I'm the right person to answer that question too. Um, you know, so, 
just imagine that you show up with all the skills as a professional painter. And when you arrive to the studio, they tell you that there are no tools, no paintbrush, no can, you know, no, nothing at all, just canvas. Okay, so what do, so where are my tools? I have to paint on this canvas. Where are my tools? So, you know, teachers are like the painters and students are kind of like their canvas. Um, where we kind of create our best kind of art, you know, um, what we impart on them is our expertise, our art, our best practice. We paint their lives, you know, and we want them to succeed. Um, so how can you do your job without being provided the resources to do so, you know, and yet also you're being evaluated on how much impact they have on students' achievements. You know, when you're not given the tools to be successful, we are supposed to give students the tools to be successful, yet we are not given the tools to be successful. You know, so deplorable treatments, um, you know, and, and systems like that are really the reason why a lot of teachers leave. You know, students see and feel these disparities as well, and they know that they are lacking resources, you know, and they know because they're lacking resources, teachers have to work twice as hard and they have to work twice as hard to be successful. And so sometimes they just, because of that kind of notion, they sometimes wanna give up. So they'll act out and teachers are like, I'm fed up with this behavior, I'm leaving. <laughs> you know, when, when there's such a lack of resource, it, pro it, it promotes like negative culture and climates in school. You know, and these, and this really impacts students and really impacts teachers because the complaining, the disgruntled behavior, you know, teachers, and also a lot of those schools with, um, with uh, vulnerable population of students tend to have a lot of teachers who are new teachers, you know, who are not trained to handle that kind of um, ch those challenges that those population of students come with. And so, you know, a lot of them, not just because of those deplorable conditions, some of those teachers don't um, leave and not only just leave those schools or those districts, but they leave the profession altogether because of such grave experiences. You know, those under-resourced um, schools, um, you know, they really, they, they really put a strain on teacher. And, um, and that's also one of the reasons why teachers face so much burnout. You know, especially, you know, where we have a lot more novice teachers, novice teachers, they come in and they are just not equipped to deal with, you know, they're, it's almost when you are kind of like when you're taught Spanish in, 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 um, in school and you're taught formal Spanish and then you show up in Colombia and they're all speaking colloquial and you're like, wait, hold on, I didn't get those. <laughs> And you're trying to navigate with just the little you know, you know, and, and teachers don't want that. It, it's a challenge. And students don't want that. Students can never achieve under those conditions. No, that is so true. I want to talk about a positive moment in your life when the uh, Varkey Foundation named you the uh, Global Life Changer of 2020. Congratulations on that role. That seems phenomenal. Um, what does that role entail? Um. The Varkey Foundation, um, yes, they are the foundation that actually um, uh, gives the awards, the um, award, the Global Teacher Prize winner. And they really came up with the award because they wanted to uplift the profession of teaching. Um, so, you know, 
it's more, it's, you know, my role then as the Global Teacher Prize winner is really to represent all the hard work that teachers across the globe are putting in every day. You know, I'm just a small representation of the hard work that they're doing. Um, you know, the work that I do that is highlighted, you know, a lot of teachers are doing it. Um, and, you know, that's just a glimpse of what they're doing to change students' lives. And so my role is to really elevate the brand of the teacher, you know, the brand, because I don't think teachers think that we have a brand, you know, I'm here to really elevate the brand of, um, of teachers to show society that we're more than the box that they put us in, you know, we're just, we're not confined to classrooms. We are community advocates, we are community leaders, we are policymakers and influencers. We have businesses, we have nonprofits that are making a difference in the larger world. You know, we're experts in our field. We're doing so much more than society sees of us. And I'm, you know, I'm just really here to uplift the teaching profession and to be able to be a voice for teachers who are underrepresented and who are under and whose voices are underengaged, you know, and you know, and as I travel, have the opportunity to travel across the world, just really be able to in motivate and inspire and really uplift the spirits of teachers and make them, you know, know how special they are and how much they're valued, um, especially in a time like this. That's wonderful. And in, in your travels, have people talked about a teacher shortage in, in other countries? Do you think that they have more remedies or they have a better structure for keeping teachers and attracting teachers? Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> you know, there is such a massive shortage of teachers worldwide, not just in the US, but worldwide. And everyone, every every single country is feeling it. You know, even research done by UNESCO shows that the world needs 69 million teachers in order to meet um, in order to meet the United Nations Sustainable Development Goal. Um, of equal and equitable education for all for 2030. It is, um, it is, I don't, you know, I've been to the U, um, United Nations General Assembly where they have talked about these things. Um, and I've met so many ministers who have talked about these things and really thinking about how to re-strategize to really try to meet the, this goal. Um, you know, 2030 seems far away, but it's like right in our back door on, on our back steps as well, you know, but one of the things I actually found when I was researching that I want to um, just read to you to show you how um, how much of an impact this uh, teacher shortage has had um, worldwide. It, um, the this was actually published in um, in one of the research done by UNESCO, and it says together Sub-Saharan Africa and South Asia account for over 76% of the new teachers needed in developing countries to achieve universal primary and secondary education by 2030. The remaining 24% are shared across other developing regions with Southeastern Asia Western and Asia accounting for 1 million each. Sub-Saharan Africa, 70% of countries face acute shortages of teachers rising to 90% at secondary level. The greatest teacher shortage are in Sub-Saharan Africa, which needs a total of, check this out, about 17 million teachers to achieve universal primary and secondary education by 2030. US Bureau of Statistics report that in 2022, July 2022, there are around 270,000 fewer um, school workers 
than in 2020, um, January 2020, and that's in the US. And the NPR reported estimates for US by the National Education Association that there are shortages of roughly 300,000 teachers and staff across the US, mainly affecting rural areas. You know, so this is, you know, when we talk about what the best education system is, the US is actually considered the second best education system next to the UK. Um, so that tells us alone how much ha how hard teachers actually work, right? Even though they're underpaid. Um, and so their countries with like the best systems are and um, and who treat teachers with the highest status are like Greece and Turkey and China and South Korea and countries like Luxembourg, Korea and Austria and Germany. Those are the and even our next door neighbor, Canada, are some of the are some of the countries who actually pay teachers the best. Um, so I think that the U.S. has a lot to learn from a lot of these different countries um, about, you know, how they are in incentivizing teachers and really try to figure out how to adopt some of those principles, um, principles, because, you know, we need education, need teachers, you know, so the U.S. has to figure out we could learn some things from countries, other countries and see what they're doing to retain their teachers. Thank you, Kashia. Those are some really startling statistics. And so it just really makes me think sometimes when um, I look at other systems and look at how much planning time they may have compared to here in the USA or how there is just a certain respect in the society yeah. that is given to teachers. So as you are um, representing the, the Varkey Foundation, but also as just like an amazing representative of the best of all of us teachers, how do you, how do you message to the, the world of how to value and support educators? You know, um, one of the, one of the things that, like you said, you know, we need to we need to really value teachers. We need to really value educators and what they bring to the table. And whenever you feel like, you know, I just want to say that, you know, whenever educators, like I said earlier, whenever you feel like, you know, you want to leave, you know, because there are lack of resources and lack of infrastructure, whatever it is that you, you think you need in order to help students to move from one stage to the next, you know, don't think about, those lack of resources. I always say, look at the glass and it, it, it is there. And it's hard to not think that you, you can survive and help students in those kind of situations. But I really want teachers to understand that, you know, they are their students' most valuable resources. You know, not the desk, not the chairs, not the books, not, you know, teachers are students' most valuable resource, you know, and what they bring to the table, regardless of what the school is lacking and what they may need, teachers are the most valuable resource. And just, you know, like I said earlier, you know, every child deserves a champion and adults who will always be there for them and understand the power of connection and demands that they become the best they can ever be. Um, and so if that is not you, then who? You know, so that's the message I want to leave for teachers. If, if, if that's not you, then who? That is very profound. It may, it may seem like a, a short statement, but I think it reaches to depths that we that we need to have and to make this a change, because I feel like we were talking about this teacher shortage 10 years ago. 
And yes. then I'm just like, how are we going to stop ourselves <laughs> yes. from talking about it 10 years from now? I think it was Linda Darling Hammond who issued a report and and said the number of teachers that we would would need to avert the the shortage, yet there was no concrete plan in place to make that happen. And we know that it's not just about salaries, right? Because the salaries sometimes will go up and people will still leave. Um, so what do we do to prevent having this conversation again? Uh, you know, I always say take the village. You know, it, it's not just one of us, all of us have to, it, it, it takes collectivism. Um, you know, of course there needs to be more international cooperation. When we think about, education across the landscape, right? Um, globally, it takes a lot of international cooperation, especially to help developing countries. Um, but we have to really address all the inequities and challenges in our backyards first, you know, before we can go on the outside and try to help others. You know, everyone plays a role. I mean, you may not think about even parent. Parent play a role. You know, parents being more involved in advocating for better, better and quality education for their children is so yes. important, you know, mm -hmm. because that also pushes um, policymakers and government, all those other people who make decisions for their children. It pushes them to make sure that they are doing in their best interest what is right for, um, for students. Uh, and if parents take on that role, they actually and see and and those people see that parents are being advocates for their students, they may some things can you know they they may change. Parent voice is necessary. Yeah. Um, teachers really empowering each other, um, and you know and the system empowering teachers you know, empowering them to be not just leaders in their schools and teachers empowering each other and empowering themselves actually to be leaders in their communities and, you know, influencing policies and laws and that govern education. Uh, you know, put yourself in a position to have your voice be heard. You know, a lot of times we say they don't give us a space to do so, but we have, we can, we, we can empower each other, empower ourselves, carve those spaces out. Primary yeah. example, you know, I'm hosting a global teacher, um, global education teacher summit in Jamaica in 2030 to um, also observe the International Day of Education. And that's a space, I'm not waiting for someone to give me a seat at the table. I'm carving out that space and bringing teachers from across the world together to co share collectively, to share great funds of knowledge, innovation, ideas, um, and to just really start connecting and uh, networking with each other. We've seen, especially in the pandemic, one of the things that I've done was through um, through Zoom, connect with different classrooms throughout the world. And that's what we need to do. We can bring resources into our classrooms through that. We don't have to wait on people to give us resources, right? So just empowering ourselves and empowering each other. Of course, you know, the government can do a lot better in making fair allocation of funding to schools and really paying teachers a livable wage, you know? And, you know, finally we have, you know, society, you know, society needs to start looking at the teaching profession in a different light. The world in general needs to start placing more value on the teaching profession, you know, and according to UNESCO um, and other sources, you know, I am, I am sure that in order to meet the SDG four for 2030, we are going to need to all pull together because we cannot do it by ourselves. You know, so addressing some of these issues 
may not necessarily help, may not necessarily meet the goal of 2030, but hopefully, like you are asking me in 10 years, hopefully just really thinking about addressing some of those smaller issues in 10 years, we can, we would have made some kind of progress. Yeah, I just really want, want to dig into that point about carving out a space. I think yeah. you're really modeling how to do, do that. I think there's a Shirley Chisholm quote where it's like, when you don't have a seat at the table, bring a folding chair. Yeah. I feel like not only are you bringing a folding chair, you're like, okay, wait a minute, I'm going to set up my own table yes. over, over there. So I think yes. that you really are taking the, the teacher yeah. empowerment and the visionary status like and modeling it as something that, that other educators can can hopefully um, aspire to and keep us all in the in the profession. So we decided to have a signature ending question to our podcast. <laughs> and so we and before we get to it, just really want to thank you, Kashia, for being our debut guest on our premiere podcast. I mean, we couldn't have asked for somebody more honored, more passionate <laughs> about the work and like the realist, because since I know you, I know it's not just talk. I know you have walked this walk, like as a student, as an educator, as an ambassador. So our signature question is, taking all that you have seen and experienced on this issue of teacher retention, the question is, how can we grow from here? How can we grow from here? Uh, it really, like I said, it really takes all of us. We again, carving out those spaces, making spaces for each other. You know, mentorship is so important. Yeah. Mentorship. We need some of our leaders to start mentoring younger teachers. We also need, we need, we need collaboration. Universities, we need how, you know, one of the things we, I, I, I look at is when we, when you see kids in a community and you go into their school, elementary school kids, and, and you go into their classroom and they said, you know, what, what profession would you like to be in? They say, they don't say lawyer, doctor, engineer. They say firefighter, teacher, policeman. Why? Because those are the people they see around them serving the community every day. So we have to kind of figure out at what point does that pivot happen in their mind where they don't want to be those anymore? You know, and how do we motivate them? How do we, how do we get them to that space where they understand that these professions are valued as well? How do we as the public show them that it's valued? And, and how do we kind of like really make sure that these young people see us in a positive light? You know, how do we grow from here? Teachers and all these other professions that think there there's no value or society does not place any value on their profession. We have to be models for our profession. And we have to start uplifting our profession because so many of us are in it, but we talk bad about it. Don't talk bad about it because that's one of the reasons why our profession is suffering is that too many of us speak bad about education where our young people's minds change and teachers make every other profession possible. Oh yes. So we need teachers. Education need teachers. 
We make all other professions possible. Even though we are the lowest paid on the professional scale and we make all other professions possible, um, you know, but that's a start. That's a start. Let's be models of our profession and let's also start changing our rhetoric, changing our mindset and make sure that other people see us the way we see ourselves in our profession. Thank you. I'm going to take that message to heart <laughs> on those rough days. And then also that message about collectivism, community, mentorship, really lifting up each other in, in, in our community and encouraging our young folks to go into the noblest profession of teaching. So I want to just make sure we once again say a special thank you to you, Kashia. And then our music today is from Ben Sound. Thank you, everyone, for listening.